Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of Mid Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. This week, we are continuing our summer interview series. Um, and I think this is going to be a real treat for you. We have Isaac Morehouse, who is the founder and the CEO of Praxis. It is an organization that works to place uh, young people in apprenticeships instead of perhaps instead of going to college or um, in addition to, uh, to their college degree that they have already obtained and they just want that little bit more of an edge and I think it's a fantastic organization and we talk about that we talk about Praxis and what it is um, and we talk about a little bit of his story and how he came about forming the organization as well as many I would say collective wisdom and why the collective wisdom around college is so skewed and so wrong really Uh, about this whole mentality that everyone has to go to college in order to be successful and why that's really harming American society and American entrepreneurship as a whole. Um, We get into a few other topics, including uh, some people who have had some influence in his life, as well as some books that he recommends. So so please uh, sit back and enjoy this interview. I, I really enjoyed it. This is one of my favorite points of discussion to have. And um Please sit back and enjoy my interview with Isaac Morehouse. All right, Isaac, uh, thank you for joining us here on The Liberty. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Um, So first of all, I want to discuss with you a little bit about why don't you just tell the audience, for those who don't know you and don't know your story, uh, just go ahead and give a a brief uh, background about yourself and as well as how you came about creating Praxis. Oh man. I mean, th- there's a lot of versions of this story. Is there anything <laughs> is there anything in particular you want me to focus on? Uh let's 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 just go with kind of a broad stroke and then we we can get into the specifics after uh after afterwards. All right, I'll keep it super brief then. So, uh from my early teen years, I have been obsessed with the idea of freedom both for myself and for others, uh mm-hmm. and convinced that an increase in personal and societal freedom is the most important thing for uh, flourishing, happy people all over the world. And so I pursued all kinds of different ways to try to make the world a freer, better place. Direct, you know, sort of missions work, helping people in poor countries, realize that was uh, sort of like a bait on cancer. Uh, politics, realize that was uh, a lagging indicator of social change and a really easy place to um, lose your soul without making any difference. Uh, got into sort of nonprofit education, advocacy, advocacy type stuff. Um, a little closer, but I felt like there was more leverage if you maybe look at some more fundamental ways to change the world rather than trying to convince people. Uh, did fundraising for some nonprofits, which was really fun. And interact with a lot of entrepreneurs while doing that, which gave me a lot more insight on some things that um, ended up being important down the road and ended up launching a company uh, called Praxis, which is a startup apprenticeship program, um, more or less as an alternative to college or certainly a different approach to getting started on your career than just sitting in classrooms and going into debt and doing like ridiculous tests and following rules for years and years and then still being totally clueless about how to succeed in the marketplace. And that launch of Praxis was kind of the moment where 
my intellectual journey towards how to make the world a freer place and my career journey, they sort of converged on this idea that entrepreneurship, that actually building the kind of world you want to live in directly, creating alternatives to corrupt government institutions is more powerful, in my opinion, than certainly than politics and then attempting to convince people via argument that the way the world is is bad and could somehow be better if there were just more freedom. You, you, like just the idea of showing people another way to do things instead of just telling them all the time how crappy government is. And so that's sort of what led to the founding of Praxis. Uh, we've been around for um, close to four years now since we initially launched um, totally bootstrapped it at first. Uh, now we've got, um, you know, almost 200 people who are either in the program now or who've gone through the program. And it's a one year program come through. There's a six month boot camp where you're really going through the grind and, and building a personal brand and a skill set that's relevant to the marketplace, a personal website, pitch deck, uh, learning a lot of sort of tech tools and mindsets to really take charge and be a, a value creator. And then the second six months, we place you at a startup where you have a paid apprenticeship um, so what you earn ends up covering all of your tuition. So you, you walk away after a year, um, net cost of zero, 98% of our grads get hired at the end of it. Um, so that's, uh, that's the company and that's what I've been at for the last several years. So there's, there's a lot of conventional wisdom throughout the world right now that says, you know, college is the only way that you can go to really be successful, to really, uh, get what you want in life, and you're essentially saying that no, that's that's not necessarily the case. Why yeah, is that? yeah, that conventional wisdom is just uh, absurd when you step back <laughs> for a minute. I mean, it really is. When you step back, it's really, really funny how little scrutiny we give to conventional narratives about it, about anything, really. Um, you know, just the assumption, as many who are listening to this podcast probably know, the assumption that government has to do a particular thing, for example. Um, people just don't really scrutinize it. But when you do, when you step back, if you said, okay, hold on a second. If you want to learn, let's say, marketing, or you're not entirely sure, you're sort of interested in a lot of things, you want to kind of figure out where you can add value in the world and what kind of careers and, and activities would be fun and interesting for you in the world of business, would you think it would make more sense to pay someone who's probably never been in the marketplace their entire life. They've been shielded from competition and spent several decades in a monopolistic government subsidized academic system to teach you about all kinds of subjects, most of which have nothing to do with the marketplace. And those that try to have something to do with the marketplace, like maybe a marketing class, for example, uh, are like 20 years out of date. They're going to teach you for like an average of five years and you're going to come away with an average of $37,000 in debt. You're going to pay to be kept out of the marketplace, being taught information by people who have never participated in the marketplace. And they're going to come out and be successful in the marketplace. Would you think that would make more sense than, say, going and working for free or a really low wage alongside someone who's doing something interesting in the marketplace and seeing if you like it, if you're good at it, learning the ropes while your skills are low for low cost and then gaining that experience and that ability. And if you find something that requires a high level of specialized training or study or, um, you know, lectures and tests, 
now you know, okay, I need this one specific thing. Let me go get it instead of just sort of like, eh, I mean, I use the bike riding analogy. Like what if we taught kids to ride bikes the way that people approach their careers? Like, okay, you spend, you spend 20 years, you know, reading about bikes and like, you know, labeling bike parts right. and learning the, the history of the ecosystem where rubber is made. And, you know, uh, you learn a lot of stuff about how exploitative bikes are and all kinds of other stuff. And then you're never allowed to ride one though. And then you're dropped off in the middle of the highway. Congratulations. Now go ride a bike. You know, that's, that's right, kind of it's like right. you, you want to start, just forget the lectures, get up on the bike. You know, maybe, maybe you need one five minute lecture about why helmets are important. Okay. Now you've got the theory, get up on the bike, start practicing, get out there, engage with the world. So anyway, the common sense that like, you just kind of sit up, get into the best school you can get the best grades, and then you'll just magically build a great career. Um, it's false and almost ridiculously so. Mm -hmm. Especially in especially in today's day, because, you know, I, I could almost see and understand where the argument is coming from if it was like you know, 30, 40 uh, years ago. But today we have so much information and so much uh, capacity to really just learn as much as we want and get as much experience as we want uh, at our fingertips. But yet we're still, you know, pushing the, the conventional wisdom of, no, you still have to go get your uh, degree. And that's the only way you can really be successful in life. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, if the majority of opportunities in the marketplace required you to be able to know specific facts off the top of your head and repeat, follow rules and repeat, you know, processes over and over again, right. um, School isn't does a, a decent, though still pretty inefficient, but a decent job of basically <laughs> inculcating you with that. Um, but today, you don't need to know any facts at all. You have Google. It's ridiculous to memorize things. You don't need to. You don't sure. need to know those. You go learn when you need to, based on the thing you're trying to accomplish. And things that require repetition, whatever machine software uh, can do those better. You need to be uniquely human, which is creative problem solving and innovation. So. So I know people are, are listening and they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know by now that you don't go to college for the information. Like everybody knows this. If you just wanted the information and college was truly the best place to get it, you could just go sit in on classes for free if that's what yeah. you wanted. Yeah. But nobody does that because that's not what they want. What they want is, look, Isaac, I hear you. I get it. The training's not that valuable, but the piece of paper is. You got to buy that piece of paper because it sends a signal to employers that you are worth hiring. Okay, that's, that's the product that people are paying for. Now, that's true, but what most people don't realize is the signal you're buying doesn't say, I'm worth hiring. It says, I am probably better than the average person without this piece of paper, and that's a pretty low bar. And so the signal it sends is pretty weak and getting weaker. I mean, really, if you have a degree, anybody listening, Think about all the people that you saw in your classes with you, you know, kind of sitting there hungover or whatever. If you ever did like trade and grade and you read some of their essays, think about oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. All your piece of paper says is I'm probably no worse than these people. Okay. That's a pretty weak signal. So the minute you realize this and you say, wait a minute, if that's what all that, that signal is, I can build a better signal. That's, that's our whole thing at Praxis is that the degree is a signal. And the average person with a degree is signaling that they're slightly better than the average person without a degree based on, you know, most just correlation of what's out there in the world. But if you can build a more powerful signal, I mean, for example, work experience, if you have three years work experience somewhere 
and you say, here, I ran marketing for this thing and I did X, Y, and Z, boom, 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 boom. Or Caleb, if you say, here, here are all the podcasts I produced over the last year. Here's the listenership, blah, 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 blah. And you're going to apply for a job that requires podcasting. No one cares about your degree anymore because now you've already got a signal that's more valuable. I mean, it's like your high school diploma. No one cares about your high school diploma once you have a college degree. Once you have anything more interesting than a degree, no one cares about your degree. And it's not that hard to build something (laughs) that's more interesting. I mean, and that's that seems like it would be common sense and common knowledge because right now there are so many people. Everybody uh, just tries to go to college, tries to get a degree. And at a certain point, you have to look at it and it's like, what really makes me stand out? What really <laughs> makes me special anymore? What you know, at, at one point in our history, we used to look at a college degree like this meant something more. Now it, it doesn't mean anything, especially. And, and this is something to, to consider, too, is with uh, certain individuals in politics who really try to push for, you know, everyone to go to college to make it free, when really the answer it seems to be more of just the opposite of that. Maybe more people shouldn't go to college. Maybe more people shouldn't try to, to, to enter um, when it's not really going to provide you for the kind of experiences that you, you need. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the... the the fastest way to keep driving the value of a degree down is to, you know, make it free. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's basic, you know, economics. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's the thing that makes it so hard is the, our parents' generation, most young people's parents, they really care and really want what's best for their child. And they've got a definition of what that looks like in their head. And that Mm -hmm. includes college. And it's really, really hard, especially if you don't, if you're just like, I'm not going to go to college and that's it. Well, your parents are like worried about you. And frankly, they should be because just not doing something isn't doing something like just saying, I'm not going to go to college doesn't make you special automatically. It doesn't do anything for you. If you've got a, something you do want to pursue, I want to go work on learning coding. I want to go work in this job. I want to go, you've got some kind of plan. I want to spend the next year trying the following things. And then I'm, you know, you've got something that you're doing that's more interesting. Um, Now that's pretty cool. Now it might be hard for your parents at first to adjust to it, but they're always going to go back to the default of college. It's a quick, easy way for me to feel like you're doing okay. Even if you're not, even if you hate college, you're depressed, whatever, they'll feel like you're successful if you're there and you don't have to get into arguments with them and you get their free money most of the time. Right. But if you do anything else, it's a much, much, you are now, you have to defend your choices. You have to like really take ownership and say, no, no, trust me. I've got this. You've got to be willing to have them cut you off financially. It's just, it's a very difficult thing. But if you want to really be free on an individual level and take ownership of your life, you're going to have to do that. And you don't have to do it by like stick it to your parents or whoever and like rebel against them. Just totally calmly, rationally, hey, I've assessed my options and I want to try doing something else rather than cause I'm, I'm not, I hope I'm not disappointing you guys, but uh, trust me, I'm pursuing my own self-interest. And, um, you know, I know you want me to be happy and that's what I want as well. So here's what I'm going to do. And uh, you'd be surprised how often if your parents see that you're serious about it and that you are succeeding on your own terms, um, they'll come around and support you more often than not. So so what would you say to people who say that, you know, a college degree, it may not make you really special, but at least it's it's a a safety net of sorts to where if you you do fall on rough times, 
then you'll at least have you know something to put on your resume where people will look and it's like, okay, at least he has a, bac- a bachelor's degree. Yeah, uh, I think it's dangerously false. Mm-hmm. Not only false, dangerously false. You start mm-hmm. to think, when you start looking for guarantees, you're already looking in the wrong direction. There are no guarantees. There's no no degree, no no status you can achieve that will guarantee that you're always going to be economically safe. I mean, even take the most risk-averse, bureaucratically monopolized thing you can imagine, like getting tenure, for example. Even that's not a guarantee if your university goes out of business. Like, sure. you can't you can't look for those guarantees because it's going to make you weaker and less in tune with what you value and with what the market values. You've got to be somebody who is bulletproof and adaptable and able to thrive in a lot of environments and say, look, the investment that matters isn't in some piece of paper or credential or certification. The investment that matters is in my own human capital, my social network, my skills, my ability, my confidence. So, I mean, when you if you look at the degree as like a, it'll be nice to have just in case, I, I mean, one, it's absurd when you think of how costly that is. The opportunity oh, yeah. cost of like four or five years of what you could be doing, the experience you could be gaining, plus the, you know, five, 10, 20, 50, $100,000 in debt or whatever it might be. It's really, really costly as like a fallback plan. But but I just talked to a, a business owner who's hiring and he looked through 1,200 resumes so far this year and he found three people that were worth even an interview. And wow. every one of those people had a degree. Every wow. one of them. So- it's it's like the idea that it's a safety net. I mean, again, it's a product like any other. If if you said to me, Isaac, look, whatever else they do, every young person should buy a pickup truck, no matter what. It's like 30,000 bucks. They can get a loan for it. They should just buy a pickup truck. It's a good investment. Look, I can show you stats where people with uh, you know earnings correlate to pickup truck ownership. <laughs> they should just buy one, even if they don't know what they're going to use it for, even if they don't have, it'll be good to have just in case. It's just as absurd to me to say that any old degree will be good to have just in case. Like, why? What's it doing for you? It doesn't do anything for you and open any specific door. No one's going to say, oh, you have a BA in communications from generic state U. You know what? You're hired. <laughs> You're going to yeah, have to right. do something more. So so get busy building the thing that's more interesting right now. Uh, would you say that, that college has... At least, at least now, the way the way it stands now, would you say that college has had a part in really uh, killing the an uh, entrepreneurial spirit in in America? I, I definitely think um, the education system broadly, which includes college, um, and there's a couple ways. I mean, one, the way that sort of the school process goes from day one, the entire point is to cut down the propensity that humans have to be natural learners and problem solvers and instead get everybody to only learn the same facts about the same things and to only solve problems the same way they've already been solved for decades. Um, So, I mean, that's how you succeed within the education system. That's like the definition of success in school. Um, so, So that right there is a real hampering of that entrepreneurial spark that I think humans are are born with. We're sort of curious, inquisitive, you know, innovative problem solvers. Um, but then college specifically, the artificially low, you know, the, the cheap access to capital with all these subsidies and things and grants, and then all the money that goes directly to universities from state and federal coffers, the whole sort of social narrative and the whole high school system of preparing you and pushing you to college. What it does is it basically incentivizes you to stay out of the marketplace as long as possible. You get artificially 
um, you know, rewarded. Basically, you get you get a lot of you know incentives to stay out of the marketplace financially and otherwise. And if you try to enter the marketplace early, there's a lot of kind of artificial impediments. I mean, things like minimum wage laws. Um, that, you know, if your skills are really low and you're like, I'll come work for five bucks an hour until I learn, like you can't do that. That's illegal. And so the system is set up to basically keep you out of the market as long as possible. And the sooner you engage with the marketplace and learn by doing, um, the better, the more you'll have opportunity to have those entrepreneurial insights. Like, oh my gosh, I noticed that everybody who buys this product has this problem. Um, you can't have those when you're studying textbooks all the time. So yeah, I think it absolutely hampers entrepreneurship and, and startups are, uh, the number of companies being started, even though, as you mentioned, it's easier than ever to start a company and cheaper than ever. Um, those numbers aren't looking too good right now. Yeah. And I, I, have, that's that's something that that really speaks to me because I remember being in school. I have always I always hated it. I I never understood why you know why we're just studying to to memorize things and just uh, trying to pass a test and it's not really learning. And it wasn't until like I I actually took you know things into my own hands. And sometimes I. Uh, when I was in school, I, I would have said that, you know, school oftentimes gets away, gets in the way of my education because <laughs> it's not really about, it's not really about education. It's just about, can you pass this test? Can you, you know, can you go through the process that we have set up that has absolutely nothing to do with the real world and how the real world is actually structured? And that's something that always has dumbfounded me. Yeah, it really is. It really is a uh, sad when you when you think about it, and it's understandable the logic of it. I mean, the idea behind mass sort of public schooling is is let's just create more uniform <laughs> uniform <laughs> citizens who are just like normalized so they all kind of act and behave in the same way. And again, this doesn't have to be in some grand conspiratorial way. I mean, if you just look at the self-interest of all the people involved, um, you can see how this came about. But I mean, at the, you know, the origin of the school system very much was deliberately like, let's create more uniform, uh, citizens that can sort of be plugged in, <laughs> plugged into their role. And, um, you know, the thing that, the thing that has made this country, the United States great for, you know, compared to the rest of the world for, for much of its history is it was founded by a bunch of crazy people who fled that conveyor belt mentality, who fled the old systems, whether religious or educational or governmental. And they were kind of like self-selected as crazy people who would cross an ocean to go to some, you know, empty lot and like start farming on the frontier uh, and hunting and stuff. And so you have this really like hustler, entrepreneurial kind of, you know, grinded out problem solving mentality. And I think that's what's been that the powerhouse, that culture, that that idea of, you know, like creating hustling working and that and that that kind of stuff is awesome and valued and that customer service is a good thing. Um, that's really powerful and stronger in the United States than anywhere else that I've been. And I think that's been such a driving force. But, you know, there's a homogenization that happens through the education process that I think really dramatically curbs that. Um, and everyone starts kind of chasing the the prestige of, of the next sort of, you know, official credential uh, honor roll or dean's list or whatever, Ivy League, this or that rated thing. And it's like, what does that have to do with creating value in the real world? Very little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've always found really ironic is that, you know, a lot of people, 
in, in school that we have always like praised many of these these rugged entrepreneurs and these rugged individualists but yet we're teaching them to be the exact opposite of what of what they did to become who they were like for example uh Walt Disney is somebody who I I've always really uh appreciated and really uh, learned about um and he's somebody who you know went to California with with barely a hundred dollars and his dad told him that you'll never make any money uh drawing cartoons and it was that sort of like maybe not act of defiance but but just that drive that that made him and motivated him to say you know what maybe uh maybe i can do this because i i don't like being told that i can't i can't make something out of my life in the greatest uh experiment in human history that is the united states of america Oh, absolutely. I mean, the people with that early sort of stubborn spark, rebellious streak, um, they're going to find a way no matter what. And, you know, my goal is to say, hey, the, the faster you can find that way and the cheaper, the less costly it, it takes you to, to sort of realize you can go your own way and, and chart your own path, the better. But the people who suffer the most, I think, are the ones who are not quite, um, you know, not quite there. They don't quite have that boldness and confidence. And they're kind of, relying on the system to do the work for them and okay well i i kind of don't like it i kind of kind of feels like a waste but I, I guess i just put my head down follow the rules and you know it will take care of me there'll be a job at the end of the tunnel there'll be a you know 401k at the end of the job everything you know i'll kind of have my life right. plotted out for me they're afraid um, to step out of the box yeah and that's a really dangerous place to be if an economy is going through a huge boom and there's just a massive demand for workers like, you know, whatever the fracking boom in Dakotas where they'll pay you like, you know, 50 bucks an hour to work at Walmart or something because there's so oh, much yeah. demand like during a, during a boom, all kinds of things are possible. And you may look at that and say, well, look, my parents just, you know, they made plenty, whatever. Um, but you can't rely on that. You have to understand if I'm going into all this debt and keeping myself out of the world of actual experience and, and relevant skills for so long until my mid to late 20s sometimes. And now I'm just hoping that this piece of paper I bought will like do the rest of the work for me. That's a really dangerous place. That's a huge gamble to take on a uh, a commodity that the degree that's um, not looking good in terms of its long term value. Um, so tell me, what are some of the um, challenges that you have uh, faced uh, in? in your founding and, and growth of Praxis, what are, what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you have faced since, uh, since starting? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenges to anything, uh, certainly a, an entrepreneurial venture, are psychological. And so you just get in this, like you've got to have an ability to believe in what you're doing, as cheesy as that sounds, regardless of what seems to be happening around you, almost to the point that's like, like wouldn't make sense in most circumstances, mm -hmm. um, you, you've got to have that. You've got to sort of be all in on the idea. Like, look, I'm going to go after this no matter what. And and the biggest challenges are just every roadblock you hit, no matter how many wins you have, the losses you always feel like 10 times more. And every roadblock you hit, you feel like all these things are screaming to you. You know, you should stop. This isn't going to work. You know, there's a reason this hasn't happened. You know, and just powering through that, um, you know, in all the different forms it takes has, has always been the hardest, but I would say, you know, more concretely, um, you know, fighting that, 
fighting the the parents in people's life. Now, now we, you know, I don't, when I say fighting, like I don't, we don't get into fights with parents. I'm not trying to convince anyone to, you know, do something they don't want to do or whatever. But we trying get, to make them comfortable. Yeah, we get so many young yeah. people who really are like, whether or not, like, we're not saying, you know, screw to college, you shouldn't go to college. Do whatever you want in terms of college. If you want this one year program where you're probably going to walk away with a with a job offer and you're going to get the following things, if you want this, regardless of your college status. Here, here's what it's all about. And we get a lot of young people who really, really want to do this and they just can't bring themselves to break from their sort of parents' blessing. And if their parents really don't want it and the, the, I shouldn't say kids, young people are, you know, they don't know like how to make that step and say, look, mom and dad, I'm going to do this. And there's just such a strong status quo bias. Um, and that's a really challenging thing to fight against. And I don't, I don't make light of it. I mean, I know that's a, that's a very hard position to be in. Um, sure. but that's, that's a huge challenge and not, and not like crappy, mean jerky parents. Those are actually easy. You know, <laughs> young people who are like, Oh, my parents are, you know, terrible or whatever. They've already sort of realized, like, I'm not going to go along with what they say. It's the really awesome, well-meaning, loving parents that are the hardest because it's like their, their definition of success for you that they've had since you were born you are potentially throwing a wrench in it. They get really yeah, you're worried. You're telling them we we don't you know I don't I don't want that for my life. This is you know, something completely different than what I want. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a that's a really challenging thing. Now, I mean, on the on the the upside, whenever like we end up talking to parents directly, you know, somebody on our staff, or whatever, they they usually end up really big fans of Praxis. Or when you know people go through the program, their parents usually end up being really really big fans of it, and they love the outcomes. Um, but that's a really tough narrative. So there's a lot of people kind of sitting on the sidelines or like waiting. They want to do the program, but they're just not they're just not sure, um, and they're they're just not willing to bear that social cost of explaining right. that they're doing something a little bit different. Um, now that's gotten easier sort of each year that we've been in existence. I think this the world is changing in that direction, but. That's probably been the biggest hurdle. I'll give you one more quick one, uh, even more concrete. Sure. Um, when when I first was getting this thing ready to launch, we had almost launched. I had all this stuff, you know, website ready and all this stuff. In the original model, uh, I found a uh, policy at the Department of Labor website that basically made the original model illegal. And I, I thought, this is it. <laughs> We're done. Like, here we go. Government has crushed my dream with their stupid <laughs> policy. Because the original model was the program is free. You pay no tuition. And but you go, your apprenticeship is unpaid and you, you work for six months at this business and the business pays Praxis basically for us to, you know, find and train and support and provide these apprentices to their companies. And so our revenue would come from the business, et cetera, but it's illegal to work for free in most circumstances. Um, so that wouldn't work. And so I was like ready to give up. I was so frustrated. I was getting all, you know, my, all my libertarian self-righteous anger that about is, how unfair it was. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is incredible. I it, mean, like what, what, what right does the government have to tell, you know, two consenting adults, <laughs> they can't do something well, like Caleb, that. Caleb, listen, if you offer to work for free under somebody to learn what they do, you are being exploited. Now, if you offer to pay oh, $50,000 to be taught yeah. in a classroom by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, that that's is perfect. That's Yeah, that's education. Yeah, that's, yeah, um, of course. But, but so it was actually a relatively simple switch, but it required me to stop just getting angry and start like, oh, the stupid government getting in my way uh, and just start being like, OK, hold on. There's there's always a way. There's always a way if you want it bad enough. And um, so we ended up with our current model, which is you pay tuition and then you go work with the business partner and you get paid and what you earn 
covers, you know, more than covers tuition. So it still nets out the same. It's a zero cost program that, you know, every, there's just a, another layer in there. It makes it more, a little more complicated. Um, but, uh, anyway, that was, that was a big early hurdle and it was a good lesson for me to not just get angry about everything that's wrong with the world, but to get creative and, and find, you know, criticize by creating, find a better way instead of just yelling about how things are. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that to be very, uh, very unique. And I, I think the right way to approach it too, because, you know, a lot of people who there's the country is more divided than I've ever seen it. Um, in, in my short life that I've lived, um, Yet all everyone wants to do is just is just complain about the other side or complain about what you know what problems they have, but nobody really wants to find solutions. And I, I think that's you know fantastic that you had that uh, that approach to it. Uh, yeah, it's it's been you know I, I've come a long way. Again, my intellectual and career journeys have sort of mirrored each other, and just getting to that point of don't get angry, get creative, and actually see it as a challenge, see it as a game and actually enjoy the process of trying to, trying to improve it, trying to make it better. You know, and I think that's big for, for everything that we're trying to do with Praxis and, in you know, things that I'm trying to do personally as well is just always looking forward. So, so let's say you're listening to this and you're like, okay, whatever, I've already got a degree or I'm two years in, or I've got dad. Yeah, I kind of get it. But like, you know, you're, so you're like ripping on college, but what if I already, none of that matters. What, what you've done in the past doesn't matter. All that matters, there's so much opportunity right now. Just look forward and say, what do I want to do in the next year, two years, three years, five years? What are the kind of things that I want to learn? Like maybe I need to figure out what I want to do by trying a lot of stuff. Maybe I know something specifically. There is so much opportunity and however much you might dislike whatever policies are going on out there, whatever's going on politically, whatever you think is wrong with the economy as a whole, at an individual level, there is more opportunity than you possibly can imagine. And if you start getting interested and curious in it and looking around the world and opening yourself up to it, there is so much that you can do. So don't worry about what society needs. Oh, do they need to go to college or not? Whatever. Just worry about yourself. What do you want and what do you need? What's the best way to go get it and have some fun in the process? Um, so who, uh, if you could just name one person just off the top of your head who has had more um, influence in your your life and your way of thinking uh, particularly, uh, who would you say that is? Ludwig von Mises. That's fascinating. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Uh, why is Actually, that? The, the name Praxis is a little bit of a tip of the hat to... Uh, to Mises, he, he, yeah, That's he called great. the the study of human action praxeology, and so there's a there's a little um, little ode to, to Mises in there. Um, I would say he was the first one. I mean, I got hooked on economics probably either from Milton Friedman or from Frederick Bastiat, um, mm-hmm. and they have some really accessible. You know, both of them are very witty, very erudite. Um, but when I really dove in, when I got into Mises. Um, human action was like the biggest gut punch in the best way possible. Like it helped me understand that. Well, well to put it in the words of, of Carl Menger, who was Mises's um, sort of, you know, uh, predecessor, all yeah. things are subject to the law of cause and effect. And to understand that even all these human behaviors on the micro level, on the macro level that seem like irrational or crazy, they're all, subject to the law of cause and effect and using logic, you can understand there is a logic 
to human action and the patterns that emerge, supply curves, demand, all these things, they emerge in a way that actually makes sense. It follows a set of principles. Um, and, and just that sort of deductive approach to understanding like the most common fundamental principles of economics and then all the things you can understand about the world because of that and sort of basing things on rational choice theory and the assumption that people are acting rationally to enhance their their own subjective idea of what's good for them it helps you see the world so much clearer and for me it's also helped me be less frustrated and angry and be like oh they're just stupid or irrational or whatever no they're just acting in their self-interest based on the incentives they face so how can i change the incentives so that i get different behavior so mises both intellectually and then like in a very practical way has been just a massive influence on me and continues to be so at, on that point, would uh, would you say that the human action is is the book that has had the most influence on you? Yeah, I probably would. It, it, I mean, that is a very hard question, as you know, because you know, sure, influence has so much to do with like the time in your life when you read a certain book and what it did for you then. But it, I would I would definitely be comfortable saying Human Action would be that book, and it, it's one that if you're really ready, if you're really serious about it, cause it's, it's a, you know, it's a heavy duty book. Uh, I think it's well-written, but it's, it's a lot to read and digest. Um, Thick, very yeah, it is, but dense. it's one of those, like, you know, it's one of those, the old cliche, like every thinking person should read this book at some point. Like I, I really feel that way about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, is, is there any book that you have ever like given anyone to say, you know what, this, before we start this, this journey, you need to read this. Yeah, there's a there's a number of them. Um, probably in terms of startups, you know, when somebody when we hire somebody at Praxis, uh, I usually give them a copy of this. Um, Zero to One by Peter Thiel hmm. is a really good book uh, for you know sort of the philosophy behind starting a company, but it also has a lot of broader um, implications. You know, if even if you're not gonna start a company, I, I think it's a, a book really worth reading. Um, there's a little a little odd philosophy book called finite and infinite games by James Kars, um, which is also really fun. And that's, that's kind of just about seeing life as a game and not getting so angry about everything, but sort of seeing things as a, as a challenge and, um, you know, sort of problems to be solved rather than, you know, obstacles to just shake your fist at. Um, that's been really valuable as well. And oh, oh, I'll give you one more. I know you didn't want this many, but I'm gonna give you one more because <laughs> no, I can't believe I forgot this one. This this might sum up my general life philosophy better than any other book. And it's called How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World by Harry Brown. I think you can get it in PDF somewhere online because I think it's out of print. You might be able to buy used copies, um, but I think you can get PDF somewhere, but that, that book was just absolutely awesome. It was like, yes, this is, this is it. Like, this is how I want to approach my life and how I want to approach, um, you know, freedom for myself and for others. I'm, I'm curious, have you ever uh, read the book, The Go-Giver? No. It's a really good book um, that I, I think that uh, you and, and people uh, who have, you know, your kind of mentality would really appreciate because it's it's written like a parable um it's it's by bob burge and uh he uh you know he he writes this story it's it's about business but there's uh, you know there's some underlying philosophy because he's he's a free market uh capitalist um and you know you could definitely see those those themes within the book and it's just a, a beautiful story about 
how business and how the market actually works if if it's just you give more in value you know there's like uh, five steps i won't go into it too much but that i would say has had probably the most influence in my philosophy and way of thinking uh, just because of the simplicity and, and the storytelling ability and that's something i always appreciate is is the ability to tell really good stories um, but if, if you have a chance, it's really, it's really small. It's, it's like, you could probably read it in a, in a day. I, I will definitely check it out because what you said right there, that is so, so key and so obvious. And that was one of the things that you sort of never learn in, in school that at the end of the day, what matters is that you've got to be able to create more value for people than you cost them in the marketplace. And, and that's really, I mean, we really hammer this, the value creation mindset with Praxis participants that in the marketplace, two things matter, your ability to create value and your ability to prove it to people. And so what skills you have, what you can do that other people value is really important and your ability to showcase that, to let people see that so they know, oh, okay, I think this person's worth working with because I've seen what they've done in the past or, oh, they did this project for me and that demonstrates what they're capable of. And when you understand that like that's all that really matters at the end of the day, not how cool you are, not how special you are, not what your resume looks like, not, nobody owes you anything. It's can you create value for people? And, sure. you it's, know, it's the value and the reach of your influence that that really defines, you know, your not your worth, but how, how much, you know, if you want to be really successful, it, it that's what defines the success ultimately. Well, and here's the great news for young people with few skills. You have a secret weapon and that's called very low opportunity cost. So, so, you know, even if you're not very good at things in absolute terms, even if, you know, there's some, somebody who owns some company and you want to work for them and they're better literally at everything than you, you still can create value for them. Maybe it takes them 30 minutes to plan their travel and it would take you three hours to do the same thing. It still might be worth it because 30 sure. minutes of their time might be worth a lot and three hours of your time might not be worth that much. You, your opportunity sure. cost might be like watching Netflix or something that, that's not you know that valuable to you. So the ability to go in and say, look, I've got time that doesn't have a lot of high value competing demands. So I can do things even if they take me a lot longer at first. And that's a huge advantage in your early career. Just realizing that your opportunity cost is low and being willing to, um, you know, to, to, to spend whatever amount of time it takes to do things that are valuable for people and solve their problems. Um, before we leave, what is the one message if you could just communicate, like if you had a billboard or something, to, to give this one message about, what would that one message be? I would say you're already free, so start living like it. That's fantastic. Um, Isaac, where, uh, where can people find you on social media? Well, if they want to check out Praxis, and I highly encourage you to, um, go to mm -hmm. discoverpraxis.com or uh, at discoverpraxis on Twitter. Uh, it's also on Facebook. And then me personally, um, on Twitter, Isaac Morehouse, same for Facebook, uh, IsaacMorehouse.com. You can find a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, so yeah, I would say DiscoverPraxis.com and IsaacMorehouse.com. All right, and we'll be we'll be uh, plugging all that into the show notes as well as the books you recommended. So uh, Isaac, thank you very much for for joining us here. I thoroughly enjoy this conversation. Hey, keep up the great work, Caleb. I had a great time. All right, and uh, for those listening, please follow me at Caleb Friends on Twitter. Follow the show at Liberty. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a rating and a review so that you will never miss an episode or an update. And until next week, we'll see you.